are in the book of Acts. <laughs> I love it. You guys are good. Way to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And as we turn towards your word and our story, may you enlighten us once again by the power of these traditions, by the life and the record of the lives of our ancestors, and may it inform and transform us even to this day once again. And we pray in your name. Amen. Last week, I shared a little bit with you about what does witnessing mean or what does a witness mean. The word in Greek is the word martyres, which means martyr. And unlike the common understanding of martyr as somebody who dies for their faith, or unlike the common definition of witness, somebody who has a track and tries to convince somebody else to be converted from the outside to the inside of the faith, we talked about how a witness, a martyr, is somebody who has had an experience and cannot help but be transformed by that experience so that wherever they go in their lives, they are as a person, as a being, now a witness to that experience. And you witness, or you are a witness, by the life that you live and by the words that you share all of that together. I'd like to pick up from verse 8, head into verse 9. Um, would you mind reading this out loud uh, with me? That would be great. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The title of my message today is Looking into the Sky. Let's just be honest, friends. What we just read is a little bit strange, okay? Luke is a consummate historian. If you have studied the Bible at all with us, you know that of the writers that we have in the Bible, Luke seems to be the most attentive and most careful about giving us a really historical account of things that are happening. But then we come to passages like this. And by the way, this isn't the only passage. There are other passages like this in the Bible where very strange things seem to be happening. And for many of us who maybe grew up in the church or grew up reading about these stories, it was just kind of taken for granted that this was a Bible story. Therefore, it was true. Therefore, you believed it. And then there were really no questions further asked. But let's just pause for a moment and ask yourself the question, when was the last time you saw a guy ascend into the clouds? Because this is what this story is saying. That after the resurrection, Jesus is teaching. He gives them this commission. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We talked about that not being geographic, but psychographic or culturalographic. It's going to all the people that are the elites, going to the people that you hate, going to the people that have oppressed you. We've talked about all those things. And then all of a sudden, he does this weird thing. He goes up into the sky. It's like vanishing Jesus. And then all of a sudden, 
Two men show up dressed in white and they say, what are you doing looking up into the sky? And then almost as nonchalant as could be says, this same Jesus who went up is also going to come down in the exact same way. And this is just kind of odd. Somebody goes up into the clouds sometime later, of which we don't really know, he's going to come back down in the same way. Now, this is problematic for several reasons. Uh, The first really is that as we have moved, we meaning humanity, as we have moved into more of a modern culture where we have science and we have understanding and technology and telescopes and we've changed radically our cosmology, which means we've changed radically how we see the world. We understand the world actually to be like this. And so if you were to think scientifically about this or try to argue with somebody about how this is true and how this really happened, this is really the story that you're telling because the earth is round and it's floating through space and going around the sun and all the stuff that you know. So if you talk about Jesus ascending into heaven, you're actually talking about a Jesus that is just going out into the universe somewhere and then whatever particular direction that might happen to be into the Milky Way, he's going to be coming back in that same way. I mean, it's just very odd. And let's say, you know, we kind of think north and south pole, but really the earth doesn't have that same orientation. It could be, it could be going in any particular direction. So for people who are uh, critical or thinking or skeptical about stories like this, this is actually very problematic. It comes across as like being fanciful and especially problematic when it's found by an author by the name of Luke, who's doing good history. Now, this story, however, is also problematic as it is connected to other theologies or other beliefs that have been passed down to many of us and that have made their way into the popular culture because this story is connected with other Bible passages that suggest just like Jesus ascended into the clouds and is coming back in that exact same way, so we too are going to ascend into the clouds. And we, too, are also going to come back in the same way. This whole up, down, up into the clouds, down into the earth, fits into a narrative or a worldview that many of us have inherited. Heaven is up, earth is down, and some of the teachings actually go by the end of the world, all of us, who happen to be believers, who happen to be on the in crowd, are eventually going to go up. Which again, if you were to look at the globe, means that people are going out in all sorts of different directions. I'd like to take this moment to talk about the different ways in which people read passages like this. The first is the cynic, and the second is the fundamentalist. Now, there's lots of different words that we could possibly use. Critic might be another one, um, but All of these words have little different meanings and connotations. What I simply mean by the cynic is somebody who reads a story like this, and because of its fanciful, supernaturalistic, what-are-you-really-talking-about kind of nature, don't you know we live in a world that is governed by physical laws? That's what I mean by saying they completely dismiss the story. On the other hand, There's the fundamentalist. Maybe you might call this person the literalist. You might call this person some other different titles. It's very hard to figure out what word to use. But this is the person that doesn't really care whether or not it fits 
into all of our scientific understanding or all the physical laws of the universe. They just know it's true. And you must believe it because the Bible says it. And because the Bible says it, it must be true. It's just that simple. And I'm really not interested in being bothered by any other complicated ways of thinking. Now, I want to take a brief detour and say, notice I didn't say the word skepticism because the word skepticism actually has a deep significance for me personally, a word that I think is actually really great because the word skepticism comes from some roots which means to doubt or to have inquiry, to reflect, to look, as in the word scope. If you've been around Spark for any period of time, you know that we are a community that actually fully embraces skepticism in that definition. We want to look deeper. We are a community that wrestles with doubt, uncertainty, deeper questions. Let's reflect. Let's look a little bit further into what we believe and the texts that we hold, uh, the convictions by which we live. And so the answer for us in this community is, do we have skepticism? Yes, we do have skepticism. This is part of what it means to be a body of people who are trying to figure out faith in life and following Jesus in a world that is muddled with faith and religion and science and physics and laws and all of these different types of things. And the reason why that's important is because we are still living with all sorts of different ideas as to what passages like Acts chapter 1 means for us. Jesus is taken up into the clouds, and so at some particular point, we too are going to be taken up into the clouds. And it's very, very easy for many people to say, that's clearly what it means. It's kind of the fundamentalist idea that you just close your eyes, you close your mind, you close your ears, and this is clearly what it means because that's what it says. But I'm going to suggest to you there's several problems with it, one of them specifically to the book of Acts. Notice how the rest of the book of Acts is not about how the disciples are simply just waiting around for that Jesus to come back. This is an opening passage, just like the word witness and just like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These passages, these words, these descriptions are coming at the very beginning of this book to describe something really foundational about what's really happening with the rest of the story. And when you read the rest of the story, these people aren't just sitting around, staring up into the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back. In fact, that's exactly what the two men dressed in white are asking. Why are you staring up into the sky? Why are you staring up into the clouds? what are you doing? There's something more going on here. So what I'm going to suggest to you is lost by both the cynic and the fundamentalist is the brilliant way in which the story crafts a metaphor and crafts a symbol. Some of you will get that later. Crafts the metaphor and crafts the symbol and the story. And what the writer Luke is doing here is neither trying to convince you that a Jewish man flew into the air in the first century, because both sides of that application or interpretation leads to cynicism or fundamentalism. 
but it's telling something deeper about the story of the life of Jesus and what the disciples were going to do as a result of following in the way of this Jesus. If you read carefully the story, the book of Luke and the book of Acts are actually the continuation. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Omer shared about how Luke had originally written all that Jesus began to do and to teach and how Acts is how we are to continue. Um, It's a wonderful introduction to that message. What's the link between the two? It is this thing called the ascension. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, the ascension, Jesus heading up into the clouds, is also mentioned there. So at the end of Luke and at the beginning of Acts, you have the same event being told somewhat as a link between these two stories. It's almost as if Luke left off with the ascension, picked it right back up in the book of Acts to say, don't forget this event. It's a really critical event and story. Many of us in our tradition, we talk about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but very infrequently do we talk about the ascension in the same way. And so today what I'm going to try to do is share with you what I think, and from other scholars and some other work, what may be going on here. And the first clue is always this. Have we seen this before? Have we seen this before? And the answer is yes. For those of you who know this story, who have been a part of this tradition, there's a guy way back a couple hundred years ago before Jesus by the name of Elijah. And he was an amazing prophet. He got this amazing reputation of being a good person. And he had all sorts of characteristics that people point out. He was really zealous for God. He was passionate about the ways of God, of the Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. All in. All in. He performed miracles, which was a sign of how this person was anointed by God. Throughout the history between Elijah and Jesus, there was a development that I think what Elijah was doing was paving the way for the Messiah to come, for the anointed one to come, to make everything right and to put the whole world back together again. And Elijah had this apprentice, a disciple, somebody who was following in his way named Elisha. And at the very end of the Elijah story, there is a description in 2 Kings chapter 2 of Elijah being taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot. Right after Elijah takes off his cloak and he hits some water with it, the Jordan River, and it parts into two. And here's this exchange between Elijah and Elisha, and I'm kind of summing up, I'm not reading it exactly. Elisha comes to Elijah and says, you... You demand. And he says, I am praying that God would give me a double portion of what God gave you. If you were zealous for God, I pray that I am twice as zealous. If you performed miracles, I want to perform twice as many miracles. If you were paving the way for the Messiah, I want to do it twice as much. Whatever goodness, whatever reputation that Elijah had, Elisha is looking for twice. And in fact, immediately after Elijah is taken up into heaven in the, in the chariot, and as I mentioned, he takes this cloak right beforehand, hits the water with it, parts it in two. Immediately after Elijah goes up, what does Elisha do? But he begins the repetition to do exactly what Elijah has done. 
the ascension into heaven, according to this story, was about passing on the mantle and the ministry of Elijah to his successor, Elisha, in a way that says, Elisha, not only are you going to continue to do this work, but you will do it in twice, double the amount that I have. And it's all marked around this moment of an ascension into heaven. Now, again, we get so caught up or we get distracted with how did it happen? What kind of chariot was it? Do you feel the flames? You know, all of that stuff. But we may miss the power of the symbol and the metaphor that is going on here, which is Elijah heading up, somehow being united with whatever heavenly existence they believed in, heaven and earth coming together and passing on that mantle of ministry to Elisha. In other words, what I'm suggesting to you is that when Jesus heads up into the clouds, especially after he gives his disciples this commission to go off into all the world, he is saying, again, by symbol, by metaphor, by picture, that whatever it is that I have done here on this earth, you all will do twice as much. There's even a hint of this in the Gospel of John where he talks about how you will do even greater things than I have. And it's all marked around this picture of the ascension. What is that work? What is that work that every single one of you and myself included, what is that work that we are to be doing? There's a second piece to this ascension, which is the idea that just as Jesus was a human person and he ascended into the clouds, which was back then, as well as it is today, a picture of the divine, a picture of what heaven is. Him ascending into heaven means that the person, the body, the earthly person of Jesus is in some ways being united with that which is heavenly, that which is divine, that which is metaphysical. And the ascension sits right there between the two. And here's the twist. And it's almost impossible for those of us in the 21st century who have been immersed in our culture to understand this fully and completely. So I'm going to do my best to try to drive this home. The writers of the Gospels, as well as the book of Acts, are desperately trying to communicate that the separation between heaven and earth doesn't exist. That the whole point of a human Jesus being united with God in the clouds is the idea of it all coming together, that it is the one and same substance. And so what I'm suggesting the ascension means for us is that just as Jesus performed works which brought heaven and earth together, so now you and I are to be in that same program, that same agenda, the same faith, the same work of bringing heaven and earth together. The phrase, 
in the same way that those two men dressed in white shared with the disciples, in the same way that Jesus went up, you will see him come down, in the same way is a phraseology to mean that the future hope that we hope for, we all think about that heaven and that time that's going to come when all things are put to right, when there's no more crying, no more death, no more tears, no more pain. That future hope that is coming one day, it's coming together right here, right now, in their very midst. The ascension is a symbolic declaration that this human Jesus is uniting with the heavens or the God up there and is attempting to declare to every single one of us that our work, our ministry, the program of Jesus is to do our best to try to deconstruct this separation of heaven and earth and to start seeing heaven and earth coming together in and through the life and the work and the ministry of Jesus carried out now by every single one of us. I hope I didn't lose anybody. The ascension declares... We're taking on that ministry. And what is that ministry? Bringing heaven and earth together. Just like in Jesus' ascension, heaven and earth were coming together. That's what we're doing. And the rest of the book of Acts is about how those disciples are going out and seeking out where heaven needs to touch earth where the declaration of God's presence and his goodness and his way and his love and his compassion is right here, right now, working. And salvation, all that word that we're using to describe that we have inherited to mean get out of here and go up there, in the book of Acts, it's people being rescued out of disease and poverty and failure and all sorts of other chaos. That heaven is coming to earth right here, right now, in and through the work that we do. So my question for you and for us is this. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This is a, I love this question. Because I feel as if many of us, and especially those of us who kind of grew up with Christian theology, I shared some of it last week, this is what we're doing. In our faith, we stare up into the sky and we start thinking about how we can get up there and how great it's going to be one day. And we start fantasizing about how many people we're going to save and how many nicks on a cross we're going to have by how many people we brought with us up into there. We do this all the time. Why do we all stand around here looking into the sky? I would put it another way, some other ways. Our praying for the end of life salvation is looking up into the sky. One day at the very end, so grateful for that end of life, when you cross over from the here into the then, whatever that is going to be, why are we staring up into the sky? Especially when teachers like Dallas Willard have taught us that salvation or the whole point of the gospel message is not going to heaven after you die, it's about going to heaven before you die. Another way that we stare up into the heavens, I don't want my faith, or I don't want any faith to be political or social. Now, this is very important, especially in our particular context, where there's a tension 
There's a real honest-to-goodness argument and tension as to what it means to be a person of faith in the midst of socio-political economic factors. But this story is constantly pushing to seeing heaven join with earth. And as Jim Wallace taught us a couple weeks ago when we, many of us went, faith is always personal, but it's never private. Because it works its way out into this world. If I am to be the witness, if I am to be that image bearer, if I am to be that heaven bringer, then that means that there is a difference that is made right here, right now, that the heaven and the earth are coming together. And if that was the work of Jesus, that is our work as well. And finally, I guess within this, I'm going to suggest to you, friends, that being a follower of Jesus in this tradition, according with the work that we've done in trying to figure out what exactly was the gospel, the good news, the announcement, and now working our way through how did we get here through the work and the ministry of these early disciples. I'm going to suggest to you that being a follower of Jesus means that we have to disrupt our old, also false and potentially idolatrous images of what heaven and hell are. The images that we have all inherited that are very popular in our culture, that heaven is somehow up there, Hell is somewhere down there. We're in this no man's land trying to figure out which place we're going to go to after we die. Part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus means we have to get rid of these things. And we have to start thinking about how heaven and earth are coming together in the ministry of Jesus. And he illustrates that through his ascension. Because the earth, this place, that you and I know so well, is urging, aching, yearning. The Bible talks about groaning for some portion of heaven to be met here on earth. This, my friends, is what I suggest to you, is the meaning and the symbol and the metaphor of this picture of Jesus going up into the sky. Earth meeting heaven, and in the same way, heaven meeting earth in all of us and in all of our work. Which means that if we're going to be serious about heaven meeting earth, we need to be very, very serious about the hell that is already here. Such as the famine that's currently going on in our world the political disruption and the refugee crisis that we've been talking about for many, many years, the hell that exists for many of these people as a result of corruption and power, false narratives, uh, tyrants and dictators. We need to care about that. Where does heaven meet that kind of hell? Those who are abused, we've talked about human trafficking before, people living in that kind of hell. Where does the heaven meet that We just finished our book club and are continuing the conversation about mass incarceration and the racism that is still so prevalent in our nation and in our own hearts. Where does the heaven meet that hell? And for all of us who suffer from loneliness, depression, uncertainty, lack of purpose, whatever it may be, wherever our souls might happen to be, Where does heaven meet that? It feels so 
frustrating at times. To be a part of a faith tradition that emphasizes so much on what happens after you die. And then to use passages like the Acts and others to describe and to declare that our faith is fundamentally about getting up there, just like Jesus got up there. But I feel as if we're missing a huge thrust of the narrative, a huge thrust of the story, because the rest of the book of Acts is about the work of these disciples right here on earth, going into dark places and bringing light, going into places of injustice and bringing salvation. And just in the same way as this earth was meeting heaven in the person of Jesus, so in the same way this earth gets to meet heaven in the ministry of all of us. And if we can understand our story, if we can understand our story in this way, can you imagine what kind of work, what kind of earth, what kind of world this could truly be? Can you imagine what it would be like if we started thinking about how you and I in everyday life can start bringing heaven to earth to do and to continue the ministry of Jesus in double portions. There are people in our community that need connection. They're living in a hell of loneliness or uncertainty. And your simple reach out and saying hello and welcoming them into your circles is a way of bringing a little bit of heaven to earth. Those of you in the book club, where we talked about racial injustice and mass incarceration and for the conversations that you've had with friends who may think that this is some sort of blown-up media hype or whatever, and you have a conversation with that person to help shed some light and to help expose a little bit of that injustice, you're bringing a little bit of heaven to earth. For those of you who have worked hard at having conversations about refugees and about current sociopolitical situations. You're working hard at uh, fulfilling and continuing this ministry and work of Jesus and bringing heaven to earth here. It's a beautiful thing. And can you imagine what it would be like? There's this uh, video that I'd like to show you, this song that is fairly epic. You will know it. It's perhaps John Lennon's most famous song as a solo. And given what we've just talked about, I'd love for you to pay attention to the lyrics. And art has a way of exposing different ways of thinking and processing. And as you listen to the song and think about what he's saying, maybe you'll start to see that there's some commonality or maybe even a commission that he was writing about that is deep down within the heartbeat of all of us. Let's uh, continue to listen.
part of what he was talking about in the beginning of imagine there's no heaven is exactly that kind of theology or that idea that somehow because of this heaven up here that we are so distracted with, we forget about what's going on down here. And what I would suggest to you is that you can interpret this song in lots of different ways. I would encourage you to converse and chat about all those different kinds of things. But in many ways, that's exactly what these gospel writers are attempting to do. This whole split universe where something up there and something down here are two different things. In the ascension of Jesus and in the work is all of that coming together. So my friends, if you ever find yourself thinking just about what is up there, I would ask you, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Because you can bring down your eyes and to see all around you a place where your love, your ministry, your compassion, your presence of Jesus is desperately needed. And as you exemplify your witness, as we talked about last week, you get to see that heaven and earth come together. I just want to conclude by saying thanks to Spark, all of you, because this message actually is very consistent with how many of you already behave and how you already act and how you already live out your faith. And the reason why you are actually a part of who we are is because you believe this already in the core depths of your being. And as a result of how you have lived and the stories that we have gotten to share together, we've gotten to see how heaven has expanded in our spheres and how you as representatives of this Jesus have seen more and more of heaven and earth come together. So I just want to thank you for being that kind of church, and I pray that we continue to be that through the rest of our existence. And as we continue to pursue more and more, what does that look like as our world continues to move forward? And as we run into more and more hells and chaoses all over the place, we have practiced and continue to work and continue to minister in a way that expands that heaven here on earth. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father God, thank you so much uh, for these stories, and I pray that we do not get too terribly distracted with parsing out all of the minutia and the details and how this all works from physical laws, but may we enter into the beautiful, symbolic, metaphorical story that you are teaching us about your work, about your ministry, and about how we are to be those representatives here on earth. And ultimately, God, in my prayer is that many of us who don't even have a faith are still living in a split universe where hell is here and heaven is somewhere else. And God, would you just move your people all over this world, transform their motives, their hearts, their theologies, whatever it is, so that they can embrace their commission to be your witnesses all over this world to bring heaven and earth together. And I pray in your name. Amen.